0: I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help.
1: Good morning, good morning. Coach Hog here in the uh, Manly Warthog Man Cave in the tiny woods of north central Florida, God's Country, in the Mellon Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators protected 24 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by all our great sponsors. You'll see in detail as we scroll them by the screen and we go into a little more detail at the bottom of the
0: hour. Have a little sip of coffee here. See if I can connect up with my own show here.
1: Uh, generally, I have a little problem doing that, so. I may mess around and not uh, get to it uh, the way I'd like to. But anyway, uh, so be it. Here's what we're talking about today in Coach Hogg's
0: locker room. We have got uh, the Miami Heat. Really,
1: I don't know if you're into NBA basketball, but you got to suffer through whatever I'm into. For example, I don't talk much about golf because I'm not into golf big story about golf is the Saudi Arabia League, as I understand it, <clears throat> versus the PGA. <clears throat> yeah. And apparently these guys are going where the money is and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Allstate Insurance by Julie Lucasio signed on with this patronize her. <clears throat> well, the Miami Heat is putting on a school on how to play fast sport basketball. I mean, buddy, it is really up and down, up and down, up and down. And you just can't uh, appreciate that um, as fully as if you were there on the sidelines and actually watching it. My golly, are those guys playing basketball. Morning, Jim Murphy. Um, And the thing about it is it's being done with people, players who were not necessarily – the big names, but they have a very shrewd Miami does way of finding guys who rise to the occasion with time. And the interesting detail on this team, and as I've been looking at, is the coach. I want to talk a little bit about the coach and the, and the. There's a lot of lessons here for toiling in the salt mines until you eventually get to own the company, so to speak. Eric Spolstra, I think is the way you say his name. Eric Spolstra, that's the way I'm going to say it until somebody corrects me. Uh, who is he? He's the coach of the Miami Heat. And he started out um, really at the bottom rung, so to speak, of the organization. He um, He's admitted to the media um, that he really never thought he would find himself in this particular position. Uh, he envisioned himself coaching high school or college teams. Uh, never in a million years did he see himself being where he is today and um, sports writers are covering this
0: um, uh, pretty thoroughly, and uh, it's become a story. Um, if you had to go
1: through the Profile or well, how to find a coach successful. He probably would be the most unlikely person that you would come across in the profile. Here he is giving orders and instructions to guys that are magnificent players and magnificent athletes, and yet the organization headed by Pat Riley, who's great, uh, and they've had Leon, LeBron James here at that at that. Dwayne Wade, these guys at the Miami Heat. They kept Udonis Haslam all these years. Um, he developed his championship habits, and he calls his team the Band of Brothers. And that really has resonated with the Heat, the Band of Brothers. He is a calm, cool, collected individual. Um, he has been able to deal with the ups and downs of the team. The team struggled in the early part of the season, couldn't quite find its formula and um, the way in which its players related to each other. But through hard work and determination and dedication, uh, he went from uh, being the Heat's video
0: coordinator. That's where he started, as the team's video coordinator. Now, Turns out that's really a pretty good place to start
1: because as a video coordinator, you take a look at every single detail of the performance of the players and you uh, analyze it and report it to the coaches and you find yourself being very valuable. It's sort of like a scout uh, of your own team who analyzes the Uh, quality of the form and the performance of the players. In tennis, you see this quite a bit now. Tennis, the top guys have a whole team with them. And they have video coordinators. They have people who study their moves, study the rotations of the ball. As it travels through the air, it's really very high pricey So uh, the coach of the Miami Heat started out as a team video coordinator in 1995. Now, there's another thing to be said for this. Udonis Haslam has hung around that team forever. The Miami Heat tend to be loyal to that which is loyal to them. Um, Now, these days, Eric Polstra says he can't even remember the days when he was the head video coordinator. But being the head, imagine the video coordinating skills, how far they've come since 1995. Um, But he impressed Coach Pat Riley, who was a Hall of Fame coach. And what impressed Riley about him was that he had a big ability for analytical, a big analytical ability and evaluation skills. And he was very intelligent. And the other thing that caught Riley's eye was the fact that uh, he was supposed to be witty Now, we know that wit is the highest form of intelligence. Wit is the ability to be a comedian, for example. And all these comedians with these one liners and all this very bright guys, Um, the highest form of intelligence. And it's not my opinion. It's those who study these things uh, say that those who people who are witty because they see things instantly, they coin a phrase for it instantly. And in that second, it's out of their head, and it's always applicable. And we laugh. Um, the um, Riley made a decision watching this guy uh, to take him. Uh, he was an energetic former University of Portland guard, and uh, that became a very important uh, decision for w- Riley because uh, you know he saw that ability to uh take control of an analysis and convey it and communicate it. So this is a very important quality that I'm passing along here to my students. That would be something that uh, this would be meaningful to probably any work uh place, anybody in the in the world of recruiting people and looking for somebody to Uh, be loyal to and back to you who would work in the business and become more and more essentially important to the business. Uh, This is kind of what the point is here about this coach and the success they're having right now. I'm just looking here for the source of this. Uh, It's the athletic uh, uh, publication that's taking a look at this. And um, this is Pretty interesting, whom he helped. He helped um, Dwayne Wade develop his jump shot and his outside shooting stroke. Uh, Wade was drafted with the fifth pick by the Heat in the 2003 NBA draft. And at the time, he didn't have much of a mid-range game. Now, you watch these guys shoot. Boy, they are dead eyes. I mean, this is the name of the game. Run that floor and hit those threes and every once in a while pound it inside and run back down the floor block what you can. It's a run, run, run game. Doug is watching here, and he used to be involved with basketball, knows quite a bit about it. And it's come so far in terms of pace, in my humble opinion. And Spolstra is the guy behind this with the Miami Heat. Well, really, Pat Wiley is behind it. Um, so he became an assistant on the Miami Heat staff in 2006. And in 2008, he got a big break. Uh, Riley picked him to be the head coach of the Heat then, and the Heat had just concluded a dismal 15-67 and season, which was the worst record in the NBA that year. Um, So Spolster was fortunate enough to have a superstar caliber player and at one time be an NBA Finals MVP in Wade, but that wasn't all he could do. He had to build a mediocre team into that so-called band of brothers. And he uh, got his players to buy in to his philosophy and to get his players to respect him. And the bottom line is that the players on the 2009 and 2010 squads wanted to play their hearts out for him. You know,
0: I don't, I, I can't tell you enough, you know, how, and you know this, how important that is. Uh, Those
1: guys are literally doing that right now as I watch them race up and down that court. You know, Shaq and, 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 Dwayne, and, 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 and uh, Chuck and those guys, whose comment, um, they don't see why, how the Celtics could get, be getting beat. They think the Celtics are a better team. But if you look at the team, they don't have the spunk that the Heat have. They're really getting beat by spunk, in Coach Hogg's opinion. Um, so uh, here, here is a guy who came up as a videographer, got this band of brothers to buy into him. And then he did an excellent job of designing set plays out of timeouts. And um, that became something that really the players thought was very fascinating. And you watch this guy on the sideline and you can see the history behind him and what he has going for him. So Eric Fulstra, he's achieved the American dream, so to speak. He worked his way up through the coaching ranks and uh, from being a video intern to the head coach of a team that right now is really showing its stuff. I don't know if they can win it all course, they'll probably come up against the Denver Denver Nuggets. And uh, who knows if they can handle the Nuggets. But uh, they're sure going to give them, I'm sure, a run for the mutter for their money. Um the other thing I want to talk about we're talking about greats and we're talking about a pretty great coach here now in this Miami Heat coach is the passing of Jim Brown. Um you know when I was a kid good morning Doug Whitaker is right there in Columbus, Ohio where uh right around the area near Cleveland where of course Jim Brown played with the Cleveland Browns. When I was a kid I lived up in Ohio and we had television uh in the big cities and we were in a big city, Dayton, and we got to see the Browns every Sunday. Well, of those Browns, and this was when we just had one league, the NFL, and you had Lou the Togrosa, Max Speedy, uh, Otto Graham, Jim Brown, these kind of people, and it was just amazing to watch Jim Brown play. Uh, I can take it. I listen, there has never been an athlete on the football field like Jim Brown. And that includes all the other great running backs. And they'll tell you that. Um, uh, they, all, they all say, we defer, tip our hat. Gale Sayers, these guys, all who were good backs in their own regard, you know, cannot hold a candle to what Jim Brown was. Um, I remember when he was first in the Dirty Dozen. I remember when he just walked off the football field. And said, I'm done. I've had it. I'm not going to play this game anymore. And they were just shocked because they thought the guy had another at least five more good years. But, uh, you know, he wanted to get out of it. And then he went on to become what you've read about so much. But as a kid, I can tell you one of the really exciting things for me was to watch Jim Brown on television and to watch Otto Graham and Lou the Toe. Uh, they were they were all really quite a quite a group. And NFL was uh Really, um, the only game in town at that time. And it was in the big cities up north. I got a funny story here for you. Um, well, I got a sad story. Well, it is, I, I think it's sort of sad. The Oakland A's. Now, this is the Reggie Jackson team. I mean, he was once upon a time with the Oakland
0: Rays. Oakland A's. The Oakland A's. Well, Stick a fork in them in Oakland. They're probably going to move to Las Vegas. They have an agreement
1: for the construction of a new ballpark on the Tropicana Las Vegas property, Valley's Corporation, in conjunction with
0: gaming and leisure properties. And this was announced a week ago. Now, the ballpark, right now, the plans. Only call for it to hold 30,000 seats
1: and have a partially retractable roof. But the cost of the stadium is going to be about $1.5 billion with $395 million in public financing. So they're going to try to have it ready for the 2027 season. You know, it's the end of the A's in Oakland. We had the Oakland Raiders there. We you know, had the Oakland uh, uh, A, athletics there. California has lost its luster in that respect. So they're going to bring Major League Baseball to that location. It's going to be uh, um, bring athletics to Southern Nevada. And uh, they have the blessing already from the Major League Baseball Commissioner, Rob Manfred, to relocate after the organization's been – they were unable to strike a deal to build a new stadium in Oakland.
0: So, they're coming out of there. And um, their average attendance, this is kind of
1: stunning, the average attendance for the athletics in Oakland, and it ranks dead last in the major leagues this year, was 9,449 people. And they've played in Oakland since 1968. How about that? How about that? So here's a funny kind of story for you. I never thought of this, but um, a lot of things I haven't thought of. And I thought I'd pass this along to you. What do you think the chances are? I don't know what they are. Of
0: a bird being killed by a baseball. Huh? Huh? You ever heard of that? well, An Arizona Diamondback pitcher, Zach Galen, was throwing a warm-up, during a warm-up session, was, was tossing
1: uh, in the outfield of the Oakland-Almeda County Coliseum prior to the team's afternoon game against the East, Oakland Athletics, the very place we're talking about here. And during one of his
0: pitches, which was a reported curveball, a bird flew right through the path of the ball
1: and was hit midair. <clears throat> and it was a Bally Sports Arizona camera that captured the entire sequence. Well,
0: the bird is no longer with us, according to Bally Sports Arizona. Now of course this provoked a trip down memory lane.
1: Turns out that the Hall of Famer uh, uh, Johnson, uh, Randy Johnson, did the same thing during a spring training game against the San Francisco Giants
0: and during the seventh inning. During the seventh inning, a bird flew right in front. Imagine this. A bird flew right in front of home plate during a pitch and was hit by the ball. Now that bird
1: died, and the catcher said all you could see was an explosion. So he said it was just a blur, and Johnson and the catcher said it happened, of course, wow, before they even knew it. Now, a former New York Yankees outfielder, Dave Winfield, once upon a time, killed a seagull on a warm-up throw. The date, you know, everything about baseball is statistically recorded. The date was August 4th, 1983, in Toronto. And the Ontario police arrested Winfield after the game and charged him with animal cruelty.
0: Of course, the charges were later dropped. In 2014, Jonathan Missell was
1: pitching for the West Michigan Whitecaps, which is a Class A affiliate of the
0: Detroit Tigers, and he hit a blackbird. So, there you go. Can you hit a bird with a baseball and be held responsible and charged with animal cruelty? Well, Winfield was. Well, well, well. One last thing about the Miami Heat. You know,
1: if the good Lord said to me, Ward, you can come back in your next life
0: <clears throat> in any kind of body you would like to come back in, and uh, so what w- who would be the athlete?
1: Oh, golly, would it be Michael Jordan? Uh, you know, go through a whole list of things. People that you... I've seen on the athletic field that you think are, you know, really fantastic athletes. Well, I'm just uh, playing a game here, but for me, it would be Jimmy Butler
0: of the Miami Heat, 6'7", 235, who has been nicknamed by his teammates Jimmy Bucket. And he really earned that nickname all over again When? And the theme of this little story is don't poke the bear. The game was not last night, but the night before. I think it was the night before game. And Jimmy Butler is the bear. And boy, they
1: teammates knew as soon as it happened that it was going to really be the wrong thing to do to the wrong
0: person. Um Jimmy Butler Hit a jump shot, and he was fouled uh, by uh, the player Williams on the Celtic team. can't remember his name right now, maybe it'll come up come to me in a minute, but that so the Williams player bumped his forehead against Butler's forehead, forehead to forehead, nose to nose and started jawing at him to try to intimidate him. Well, that was the wrong tactic. Butler converted the ensuing free throw, then hit
1: a short jumper, and signaled to Williams that Williams was too small to guard him. And then on a few minutes later, on back-to-back trips, He tied the game at 100. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy
0: Bucket did. And then he put Miami ahead after Miami had trailed it by as many as 12 points. And and Butler said, boy, I love that. That's just
1: competition at its finest. He started talking to me. I'm all for that. Uh, It makes me key in and focus more. You know, there's a lot of talking that goes on on those NBA courts. I know because I used to know one of the NBA refs. And some of the things they say are, you know, kind of wild, but they're all done to try to intimidate or take that other player's mind off the game. And so that's what Williams is really doing. And uh, it did not work, of course, with, uh, with Jimmy Butler or Jimmy Bucket. So this was the big story. Um, do not poke the bear. Uh, you're going to wake up the competitor in him, and then he's going to go on a run, which he did, and uh, away he went. And, of course, Eric Spolstro, whom we just talked about, knew it would happen because he knew the character um, of uh, of um, Jimmy Butler. But, you know, Jimmy Butler has gotten into it before with other people, including the coach and including Udonis Hazard. And he's gotten into it with Denver's uh, Joker, joking. So he's you know he's a he's an important cog in the Miami Heat team success. They have been really doing well, and Jimmy Bucket is one of the ones who has been spearheading the way. And one of the things that Celtics have learned is do not do not poke the bear. You will be you will regret that, and um, it's a, it's something that you will want to take back. I'm going to take a break in the bottom of the hour here in a moment for our weather, of course. And I want to report to you um, a little bit more follow up
0: on what's going on with the voter beep that we've been covering here in town. It's
1: pretty interesting because there's been a very good article written about it um, that was published uh, on Yahoo. And uh, I want to go through that article with you because The guy came down from New York, according to the instigator investigator who saw him in the audience and sat through the entire trial and has written this article. Uh, uh, Sam Levine uh, has written an article, pretty darn good one, about what happened in Judge Colaw's courtroom on 3C in the courthouse downtown. So in a moment after we take a break here uh, and I do a little bit of weather jargon. We'll come back and cover that. So um, hopefully you enjoyed Coach Hogg's locker room. You have been watching these NBA games. They're really exciting. And, of course, we lack, as a University of Florida softball team, you know, the top pitching. We got skunked yesterday by Stanford, And, um, you know, pitchers are the most valuable component of women's softball. And They can dominate the game, but there are very few in the nation who are top, top drawer. And you can imagine the competition for them to get them on your team. Because, and even when we were kids and we were playing a softball out in the country leagues, uh, we knew a pitcher could carry the whole thing for us. Uh, It was just, uh, uh, you know, one of the things we went looking for. And it's even more so, it seems, uh, essential than it is even in baseball. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, but you know, of course, great baseball pitchers are important, but great base uh, softball pitchers can pick a uh, pitch back to back. That underhand throw is so much more conducive to playing more and often than overhead. So we don't have the pitching. And so we're out of the league competition and, uh, for the, for the World Series, which we have won in the past. Uh, yesterday, exactly, uh, Tim, the coach, Tim Walton, uh, got booted out of the game. I don't know what he did. He ended up kicking sand on the umpire's shoe, too. He was irritated by that. So we'll be back in just a moment on the Ward's file. Stay tuned. the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Scott Files Gold Sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, on spot Dry Cleaners, r and Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner
0: I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Um, we are doing the Lewis
1: Oil Weather Report. Thank goodness uh, we have got the support of. A fossil fuel business, by golly. Chevron, Wendell Lewis, patronize them. They patronize us, patronize all the people who patronize us. Julie Casio, all-state insurance agent, our latest edition. Um, The weather has actually rained here in, in the, um, well, God's country here in north central Florida. And in the middle of the night, I heard it, and it was wonderful. So we're beginning to get a little shift in the weather here where we are. It's, um, it is it is what it is. I mean, it's uh, still patchy. You can be raining here and not raining across the street. It's going to be about 80 degrees to here. They cool down right away after that rain, and uh, we welcome that. So uh, the uh, whole idea of uh, weather, climate change, is uh, with us every day, really. Climate change occurs every second. But basically, there's been a discussion about El Nino, in preparation for a hurricane season, which I'll cover a little bit with you, uh, written by Eric Miller. And what happens when the Earth heats up, both on land and at sea, that signals uh, temperature rises, uh, the temperature goes up. And at sea level, the global average surface temperature set a record for April at 60.8 degrees, which is 1.55 degrees above the long-term average and just 0.02 degrees below the all-term record month of January 2016. So, Niller writes that last month's global average surface temperature was 1.80 degrees above the 20th century average of 56.7 degrees. So, this rise in ocean and atmospheric temperatures is, of course, heat-trapping, greenhouse gases, and has to dissipate the natural cooling event, which is known as La Nina, which moderates both ocean and land temperatures. Now, as La Nina abates, temperatures neutralize and uh, uh, we get a little bit warmer. So probably in 2023, according to this analysis, uh, 2023 will rank among the 10 warmest years on record. Um, The rising sea surface temperatures are warming natural conditions in the Pacific Ocean, and um, that won't have much to do with us, but it's interesting how the water and uh, the uh, El Nino La Nina are involved with each other. In the world's poorest countries, El Nino causes chaos for farmers. Um, uh, This is because of the tropical cyclones in the Pacific, Uh, When an extreme drought in Ethiopia, Ethiopia and Central America and crop failures across Southeast Asia. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, It doesn't necessarily speak for or against, of course, what climate change,
0: Um, you know, the mysterious, uh, ever-present, ubiquitous climate change. Huh? Looking at the chat line here, and if you've been interested in what's going on with the
1: follow-up on the trial last week, let me go to the article that I alluded to just a moment ago, written by Sam Levin and and, and when he came down from New York, published uh, in Yahoo Nationwide.
0: Um, So here's the issue that comes up that everybody's asking about. Um, One day, T.J. Pichet,
1: who was the outreach director at the local elections office, so Rice Levine, came to uh, the defendant, John Boyd Rivers, um, pod, if you will, in the county jail came to his unit with voter registration forms. He came to, of course, prisoner. The prisoner could not go to T.J.
0: Now, according to Levin and according to what he covered in the courtroom, PJ, T.J. Pichet told the inmates
1: that Florida had recently changed its voting laws, making it
0: easier for those with felony convictions to cast a ballot. Rivers testified that he remembered asking
1: Pichet if he could vote while in jail on a violation of his probation.
0: And as Rivers remembers it, Pichet said that he could as long as his prior
1: convictions were not for murder or sex offenses, crimes that result in the permanent loss of voting rights in Florida.
0: Now, at this point, he didn't say anything about restitution. Well, Rivers had not been convicted of
1: sex or murder, so he filled out a voter registration application, registered as a Republican, and gave it to Pichet. Subsequently, Rivers actually received a voter registration card in the mail. Therefore,
0: Rivers says... He believed he was eligible to vote. So what happened? That was his defense. He wanted to know what in the world. I mean, I did what they came and looked for me, told me I could do. Now, voting advocates have taken the position that
1: these prosecutions across Florida or designed to, you know, the old story, dissuade people who are uncertain about their eligibility
0: from voting, and they are particularly alarmed at the prosecutions enabled by Pichet, an election, official elections office employee. They believe, and this is interesting, this is a rock and a hard place,
1: And somehow the issue is, how did Pichet escape? I'll tell you how he escaped.
0: The statute of limitations ran out. By the time they took this issue, this, this, uh, issue to court, even if they had proven in court convincingly to the jury that Pichet was guilty of entrapment, by misleading, as an official of the supervisor's office, the hapless inmate, he couldn't be held uh, responsible for it because the statute of limitations had run out. And the advocates for the inmates are upset that nobody's charged from the supervisor of elections office. So, that all is being written about and passed around in a national audience, is what my point is here. Um, PJ testified that when he visited the jail,
1: he repeatedly said that anyone who wanted to vote had to have completed their sentence and paid off all fines, fees, and restitution. And he had a jail employee who accompanied him, who testified
0: he corroborated that. But Rivers says he never heard anything about fines and fees, and that an informational flyer that Pichet was carrying with him was also confusing.
1: It said someone could vote when they completed all terms of their sentence. It didn't specify repaying outstanding debts. And Pichet testified that he could not recall meeting Rivers or what specifically he
0: said on the day Rivers registered. The prosecutor says that Rivers didn't follow the rules and that
1: voting requires effort. And you know the old story. Ignorance of the law
0: is no excuse. The prosecutor said it was Rivers' responsibility as a citizen. But Rivers' attorneys argue he couldn't be
1: held liable for illegally registering because he hadn't known about the requirement that he had to repay fines and fees in order to vote. And
0: once he received his voter registration card in the mail, No one told him he was ineligible. So, this is the real kind of part of it. That didn't even stick well with the jury. In this article,
1: this writer writes that at the end of the trial on Tuesday, the seven-member jury, there were three white women and four white men, you have an altered it. deliberated for around an hour and a half and didn't have much trouble reaching consensus, according to Janet Hearn, who was a 64-year-old retiree who served as the jury foreperson. She says that when it came to registering, they believed Rivers was genuinely confused. The language on the voter registration form was not clear and they took Rivers at his word when he said that he believed it to be an application that would be rejected if he was ineligible. She also said Rivers should have been able to rely on guidance from Pichet who was the position in authority. Now the other part of this is when it came to actual voting, the jurors were not Forgiving um, when he did vote, he was on house arrest, he'd pleaded guilty to an April felony, and um, he should have known then that he couldn't vote but um even Judge Col said uh, during a timeout or uh, the out of the ear of the jury
0: that he thought this was really strange um that uh Bichet could get away uh, with this uh, kind of absence of responsibility. It's uh, now affected, and
1: here I have in my possession, and, buddy, this is a long filing. uh, This is, uh, let me see how many pages, 17 pages. There's another hapless defendant coming the way of the court on this issue by the name of Kelvin Bolton
0: and Kelvin Bolton has gotten a liar and has filed
1: a motion to dismiss his case based on entrapment and he has counsel who is advocating for this and the counsel has written uh, that the grounds for this motion is that there are material disputed facts and the undisputed facts demonstrate an affirmative case, namely that Mr. Bolton was entrapped by an officer of the state
0: as a matter of law. Now, here's the point. Even if they can prove that, the statute of limitations has rendered Mr. Pichet untouchable, Because it's expired. So this is all to be figured out. And um, in the statement of facts here, uh, Mr.
1: Bolton uh, completed his application to vote at the Alachua County Jail, where he was an inmate, with the assistance of what the lawyer for Bolton says were government actors. Um uh, the lawyer says in this statement of facts that Bolton's application was completed during a voter registration seminar that was conducted at the jail by an employee of the Alachua County Supervisor Elections Office. And he was escorted from his designated cell to a seminar they were having. Uh, and this seminar so-called seminar was where Bolton completed his voter, the Florida voter application
0: and uh, was signed off on during that seminar by the government actors. Um,
1: At no point, the lawyer for Bolton says in this uh, case was Bolton advised that he was ineligible to vote by any state official. In fact, he was registered by the state and given a voter's registration identification card and number. So the lawyer says that the state failed in its obligations uh, to make a determination of eligibility and failed to then disqualify Mr. Bolton. Let me just
0: suggest to you that there's much more of this than you ever would imagine. We don't see any evidence of where the state does much of anything beyond the cursory behavior to authenticate, validate, or ensure that the person voting is eligible to vote. It's all after the fact. The vote gets cast. The vote's still cast. You're not taking the vote back. It's still cast. I submit to you, arguably, put that word in there, that we continue through the efforts of our inspector investigator and the help of you all who help us who support the show. We run out of fingers and toes, there's so many of these examples. They're all over the place. These supervisors don't know who's voting. It's all scouts honor and it's worse. Once you have absentee voting, mail-in ballots, early voting, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. the farther in time you get away from the actual voting day, the less accountability there is. And that accountability gets elongated and elongated. That's not even to
1: mention the lack of responsibility on the part of the outreach people who are out there. And by the way, where did this Outreach, who financed this
0: outreach effort? $700,000 of Zuckerberg money. All in the name of making sure people could vote during COVID.
1: There was a COVID epidemic going on in the jail when T.J. Pichet went in.
0: Somebody, I think the testimony was not went into a triple mask. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on! I think we pretty much covered that. There's one thing that's going on, that I'm going
1: to get into DeSantis a little bit because he's getting ready to. They're getting ready to really ramp up, and by 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 they, I mean the media, is getting ready to really ramp up attacks on DeSantis. And my belief is they're going to attack DeSantis because they they consider him a viable threat to the Democrat Party. Um, they don't think Trump is. And everybody's, you know, pounding on Trump. So they think they've got that, the media, they think they've got that covered. But they don't know about DeSantis. You see, that's a little strange. They don't. So they're starting to write about Florida as if they knew all about Florida, which they don't know much about, of course. You can always tell when the person writing the article
0: about Florida doesn't live in Florida. But this is something I I think is kind of interesting. Among all the legislation that DeSantis is signing, Wednesday, he uh, signed a Public restroom law, if you will,
1: making restrooms and changing room facilities based on biological sex rather than gender identity. And I think that's kind of interesting. The
0: University of Florida basketball, whatever they call it thing now, the Exact Tech Center. And I'm going to get to I'm going to get the picture out and send it to production one day. It's got this
1: weird world where one bathroom is
0: reserved pretty much for any sexual description you want. They've got a sign up there for that. And I bet you that sign has to come down. But the governor
1: signed several pieces of legislation on Wednesday Uh, to fight back against this radical gender ideology and this is House Bill 1521. It's ensuring women's safety, which essentially requires public facilities, educational institutions, detention facilities, correctional institutes, and juvenile facilities to base their changing rooms and restrooms on biological sex, not gender identity. And DeSantis has said, quote, a woman should not be in a locker room having to worry about someone from the opposite sex being in their locker room. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a prison situation or whether it's just restrooms, we want to make sure that our girls and our women are protected, the governor said. And so this bill does that and makes sure that they're not going to be exposed, it's an interesting verb, to situations that are not in their best interest. So this legislation
0: is going to extend this rule uh, to public buildings, correctional institutions,
1: educational institutions, juvenile correctional facilities, and detention facilities. Now, the way I read that bill, I could be wrong, that means no
0: more unisex. You see, the city of Gainesville did away with male and female restaurants.
1: If you're feeling feminine one day, you can go in the female
0: restaurant. There's no such thing anymore. I think this bill... Nullifies that. If I'm reading this right, I think this bill nullifies it. The other thing that's interesting, I think i got a little time to cover this, is uh, the NCAA. uh, I don't mean NCAA. Uh, The NCAA NAACP, Um, they have put out a travel advisory, as you know, some of y'all putting this up on the chat line, and said, hey, man, if you're black, don't come to Florida. Now, you know, that ain't going to mean nothing. Come on. What I really wish it said is if you're from up north, don't come to Florida. That'd be more applicable. Don't come down here and bring your politics with you. Get out of the state you screwed up. and come to this state and screw it up. That's the real travel advisory we should have. That's the one that's really on people's minds. The NAACP saying travel advisory, is you know, it doesn't mean anything. First of all, it's patently untrue. Patently untrue. Yesterday's news, way out of date. And I got an article here somewhere. You see here where it is right here. The salaries and the job opportunities and the all that business have gone up for
1: black folks so much, not just in Florida but across the country.
0: And it, it, you know it doesn't even make it's not even in step with reality. And you know if you take a look at, and they're all basing this, of course, on. The attack on diversity, equity and
1: inclusion, you know, which was a bogus thing to force down people. We
0: went, we covered that. We cut, co- we got, we covered that. So. And Murphy, I don't know about your looting audio, intermittent video freezing. I don't think about that. Uh, I don't think production thinks it's happening for everybody. But anyway, um, it's a weird, it's a weird advisory. You know, it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's um,
1: based on a fear tactic. And, uh, and it's all about
0: trying to shift the black vote away from supporting DeSantis. I mean, that's basically what it is. Because it's been demonstrated already that the black vote is not in love with Biden. So the concern is where is it going to settle? Where's it going to go? Where's it going to land? Well, they're 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 afraid it might land with DeSantis, and so there's got to be some kind of attack on DeSantis to nullify that. You understand how that works? I'm sure. We'll do a little bit more coverage of that in the near future. Um, the whole
1: ramp up of the attack on. DeSantis in Florida, and um,
0: the futility of it, and what's really behind it, and what they're trying to do with it. Some other things I was going to cover. I think I'll wait for tomorrow. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, uh,
1: we've got uh, a covered a motion to defi- to dismiss um, uh, the jury questioning the beh- the uh, the professionalism of the Supervisor of Elections Office, and um, you know, that is what it is. And it did um, make it difficult to go after Pichet because the statute had expired.
0: Have a great day. We're back tomorrow with a guest. Hopefully it be interesting and uh, informative to you. Warhol Command Center, out.